Washington football team fans, welcome back to another episode of the Bleeding BNG podcast, Bleeding Burgundy and Goat. So guys, I know the game was on Thursday. I've actually hadn't had a voice in three days, so that's why I'm pushing out this episode to you on Monday. But I also wanted to recap the rest of the division for week two. So today is actually Monday, September 20th. It's about 2 o'clock p.m., so we have a lot of news to unwrap. So, of course, I'm going to cover the Washington football team's slight victory over the New York Giants, 30-29. to And I'm also going to go over the news and notes regarding the NFC East as well. So, like I said, I'm sorry for not getting this content to you as soon as possible, but I was at the game making the noise. I was one of those fans that, that you heard through the TV. That was that was one I was one of them. So that's why I didn't have a voice for about three days. But it gave me the perfect time to not only wrap up our game, but also wrap up the rest of the NFC East as it stands right now. Where Washington is the leaders of the division with a one and one overall record with a one and zero divisional record. So of course we want to touch bases on Washington's big win over the New York Giants. So it was it was crazy. It was a crazy win in there. As I told you guys, I was there um, in person in the stadium as I'm going to be all season um, as a season ticket holder. Catch me in section 139. But guys, uh, I'm going to call this episode TNT. TNT, because this was the Taylor and Terry show, and they provided a lot of explosive plays and explosions throughout FedEx Field. It was crazy. Taylor Heineke had an amazing night. He went 34-46 for 336 yards, two touchdowns and one interception, and his first um, start since the start against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the playoffs, and he just left. He just picked it up where he left off in that last start. Guys, Taylor Heineke, is a, he's... he's, he's he has something. He has something with him. And as I told you guys in training camp, I, w- I wasn't really liking what I saw from Heineke in training camp. Um, a lot of overthrows, a lot of holding the ball too long, a lot of misreads. But as I told you guys, he's just a gamer. He balls out in game settings. And one of those big reasons why is because he's he's a mover. He's a scooter, guys. Taylor Heine- Heineke has underrated motiv- mobility. And he, he he's, he's, he's the real deal when it comes game time. Um, as I've mentioned before, um, earlier episodes, I love what he did against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and to see him pick up where he left off. As I told you guys before, in training camp settings where a lot of those plays are blown dead when the quarterback misses his first or second read or when the pass rush gets to him too quickly or things like that. In a game scenario, hey, all, all bets are off. And Taylor Heineke has proven to be balls to the walls when it comes to game time, guys. As I, as I mentioned before, 34 for 46, um, 336 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. And I also heard that he set a record for a quarterback um, with the most completions throughout his first two games. And, guys, this is a label that I haven't really seen. Um, tag to Taylor, but he's a gunslinger, guys. He's a gunslinger, and the reason that I think that a lot of people are hesitant to give him that label is because he doesn't fit the typical mode of a gunslinger. You know, those guys are about 6'4 six, six, to 6'6, six, six, and they throw the ball all over the place. Think of a guy like um, uh, Jamarcus Russell or things like that. Um, think of a guy like Brett Favre, who was smaller, but he just threw the ball all over the rock. And I think he was still around 6'3 or 6'4. Taylor Heineke is a guy who's about 6 feet, about 210 pounds. But, guys, he knows how to throw the pill. He knows how to throw the pill. 
And one thing that I think is beneficial to him is he's been in this offense for almost six to seven years, and it shows. He throws the ball with extreme anticipation, and he knows where to go. So that eliminates a lot of the offensive line mistakes that they show. Um, you know, the offensive line has struggled throughout the first two games, if I'm being honest. But along with Taylor's mobility and his knowing of just where to put the ball, he 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 has negated some of those mistakes, and it's it's tremendous to see. Um, as I mentioned, he, he had a clear connection with Terry McCorn. And that's something that's positive to see because if you guys can recall, when Taylor came in late in the season, that was when Terry was suffering from the high ankle sprain. So he wasn't necessarily practicing as much, and he didn't have the time to build a rapport up with Taylor Heineke, um, as you know he did with the other – well, not necessarily with any quarterback, being that he's had, what, 10 quarterback changes in his first 32 career games. But I just think that Terry is – He's just he's just that good of a player that he's just going to gel with any quarterback that's in there. But as I mentioned, they didn't have that report late last season. And then Taylor Heineke was working primarily with the twos throughout training camp. So to see that he had that connection with Terry, connected on 11 receptions, is tremendous to see. It's an amazing thing to see. And then the ball placement on the Ricky Seals-Jones touchdown, absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. He threw it in the back of a Dory Jackson's head, who's a fairly... Fairly decent corner. I wouldn't say he's elite, but he's not a bad corner by any means. But he is only about 5'11". And then you're throwing it up to a guy like Ricky Sales Jones with that 6'5 frame. He threw it where only Ricky Sales Jones can make a play on the ball. And as you saw, Adoree Jackson's head was turned. And he just he never saw the ball. And he got dunked on by Ricky Sales Jones. If anybody else, if Patrick Mahomes made that throw... We'll still be talking about that throw three or four days later. Like, that was amazing ball placement and one of the best throws that I saw throughout week two. So Taylor Heineke really stepped up and took advantage of his, of this moment. Uh, I honestly think if he keeps this play up, even if we don't even if we don't have the record that <coughs> excuse me, even if we don't have the record that um we presumed us to have, you know, I, I had us going twelve and five, even if our record isn't that good. It, it wouldn't be on the play of Taylor Heineke if he keeps this up. This game wasn't as close as it was because of Taylor Heineke, and I'll get to that later. Um, but Taylor Heineke, shout out to you, man. I heard, I saw that you popped open a few Heinekens um, over the weekend, and that was rightfully deserved, sir, because you balled out. You balled out and potentially have given Washington, what, the most promise that they've seen at the quarterback position since what? Maybe Kirk Cousins, maybe Kirk 2016 Kirk Cousins, but we knew we were ultimately going to lose him. Um, maybe maybe Robert Griffin III because you think we can keep a guy like Taylor Heineke in the fold, and I think it would be wise of him to stay uh, connected to Scott Turner as well because one of the big questions I do have is how good would Taylor Heineke be outside of this system? As I mentioned before, he knows exactly where to go with the ball. It's crazy. He throws with anticipation, and I'm not sure if it's just because he has a Ph.D. in Scott Turner's system, being that he was what what with the Minnesota Vikings training camp on a on a training camp roster in 2015. So we got to think that was six years ago, guys. So, hey, Taylor Heineke, more props to you. And it's somebody that hopefully we can groom, even though I think he's at the age of 29. Um, he's young in terms of experience. So, it's, it's, it's really, hey, times are exciting with the Washington quarterback position. And that's something that I haven't really said in a long time. So, moving on to the running backs. I think that Antonio Gibson still played a great game following up his, his pretty good game against the Chargers minus the fumble. He had 13 carries for 69 yards with a 5.3 yard per carry. And if you looked at some of his runs in the fourth quarter, guys, he is getting better at running back. 
He is getting better at running back. He had some bruising runs in the full quarter. I can think of the one when they were backed up in their own um, territory, and he get rushed for 11 yards, trucking dudes left and right. And that's something that I saw from Gibby last year that I didn't necessarily see in the first game. While he did still have, you know, really good counting stats, I didn't really see the power that I saw. But I saw it, um, I saw it on Thursday night. Definitely did. As I mentioned, um, the run that he had on the back of the end zone. Guys, this is a guy that's averaging about 4.8 yards per carry. He's almost averaging five yards a carry. So that means that every time he's giving the ball for a handoff, it's about five yards. And that's the speaker to the way that Scott Turner is using him as well. If you guys see, you look at 13 carries and 69 yards, you look at 13 carries and say, hey, that may be a lot. But he also had two receptions where they, you know, were quick hitters out the backfield that looked like run extensions and things like uh, things like that as well. And then also uh, one of the reasons why I didn't think he was carrying as much is because J.D. McKissick was in his bag on Thursday, guys. J.D. McKissick was in his bag. And let me address the elephant in the room. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm going to go ahead and get that out the way um, now because uh, as you guys saw, I had a tweet that went viral among the Washington football team community where I said that J.D. McKissick is what we hoped that Chris Thompson would be. And there was no shade to Chris Thompson as a player when he was healthy. Chris Thompson was dynamic and one of the most dynamic players that we've had in the 2010s. But how often could you count on that? J.D. McKissick is somebody that hasn't missed a game in his time with the Washington football team, and he's still providing some similar electricity and things like that. My, I'm a big believer in your best ability, ability is your availability. Availability is your best ability. And why a, everybody, a lot of people, now I won't say everybody, because there were a lot of people that agreed with me as well. But a lot of people were at my neck. But we have to do, guys, if we, we have to stop, you know, especially on Twitter, we got to stop reacting with our hearts and look at the context of the situation. And then everybody brought up Chris Thompson's 2017 year, which was special. Don't get me wrong. I'll be I'll be dead ass wrong if I told you that guy, that that season wasn't special. But it was only ten games, and then we also forget that Chris Thompson was drafted in 2013. This is J.D. McKissick, somebody that gave you instant production in his first 18 games as a Washington Football Team player. So I really don't care what the people on Twitter have to say. That's why I've been going back and forth, exchanging with you guys. I love the interaction, but some of y'all are just loud and wrong. Some of y'all are just loud and wrong, and and, and I think I think you don't realize that you got the right one this time. You, you got the right one, and we can go back and forth, but I still solely believe what I said, that J.D. McKissick's instant impact and what he provides on a game-by-game basis, not any flash in the pan moments, he's what we hoped Chris Thompson would be. Why is that Why is that shade? Why is that shade? Who didn't hope that Chris Thompson would provide what he provided on a game-by-game basis and not these flash in the pan moments? And you have to question yourself if the sample size that you could go to and a player with his six-year tenure here is a 10-game sample in 2017. You have to question really how good was that player or are you clutching on the memories. But I'm going to leave that there because, as I mentioned before, J.D. McKissick balled out on Thursday night. He had four carries for 10 yards and one touchdown, and he had five receptions for 83 yards, including that nasty out-and-up um, on the first play of that two-play uh, touchdown drive that resulted in the Ricky Seal Jones touchdown. And, guys, that route was so disgusting. You could tell that J.D. McKissick has a receiver background. He sold the out route on the linebacker, cut it up, and it was murder she wrote. I, also, I almost thought that he had a chance to uh, take it to the house, but the DB had a pretty good angle. But J.D. showed some real speed after the catch. He was leaving the linebacker that was checking him. And J.D.'s just a dynamic guy. It's it's it. Going back to week one, it's crazy that he didn't see a target in week one, especially with a guy like Curtis Samuel, who 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 was probably 
your the most dynamic weapon on the field. But as far as just you know versatility and and positional uh, flex and things like that on the offensive end, I will put JD McKissick right there behind him, and then you you don't really target him in the first game. I had a lot of issues with Scott Turner in the first game, but hey, he 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 came to he answered the bell. He answered the bell um, on week two on Thursday night against the New York Giants. Um, I know a lot of people are criticizing him for the interception um, late, uh, right before the two-minute warning that um, James Bradbury got. But if you look at the play call, it wasn't a bad play call as well, uh, at all because Antonio Gibson was open, and I think it was one of those run extension type plays that I mentioned early in the episode when I was talking about Antonio Gibson where that wasn't the right read that Taylor Heineke made. Um, and if you look at Antonio Gibson, he's pretty pretty open in the ends um, in the flat where he can gain about four to three to four yards and just keep the chains moving. So that was a wrong read by Taylor Heineke, but I wasn't mad at the call because the Giants were loading up the box, and that's why Antonio Gibson was open in the flats and things like that. So I wasn't mad at that call at all, and Scott Turner was in his bag. I think that the offense opened up more. Uh, I don't think that Fitz was too. Um, too well adapt to the offense yet. You can see it in game one. I mentioned it to another Washington football team fan that was at the game. He just looked like he was going through the motions in the first game. The offense picked up. I'm pretty sure you guys saw it on TV, but it looked like it in the stadium. And I just think that the offensive playbook picked up this week where Scott Turner realized that Taylor was going to be the starter. So great job by the running backs, but <clears throat> I would be remiss if I, if I didn't mention this. <clears throat> Terry McLaurin is the best player on this roster by far right now. 11 receptions for 107 yards, and he's doing this against James Bradbury, who put up an elite cornerback-type year last year. But Terry McLaurin was working this man left and right. One hop this time, right foot, left stop. He was giving it to him whatever way you wanted. Like, Terry McLaurin, you are a dog. I know I told you that last episode, but I mean it. And you keep producing week in and week out. Terry McLaurin is amazing. Terry McLaurin is ridiculous. And I'm, and I'm here to question. I'm going to leave you guys, my Bleeding B&G fans, with a question. Does Terry McLaurin have a top 10 skill set at the wide receiver position? If you look at his uh, combination of speed and route running, you, um, even it was mentioned before the uh, Los Angeles Chargers game by one of the Washington football team beat reporters, one of the media pundits, they compared his route running to Keelan Allen. Yeah, Keenan Allen's an amazing route runner. You look at the guys that Terry's compared to, like, um, as far as route running, such as Calvin Ridley, Keenan Allen, Devontae Adams, you know, some of the upper echelon guys, they're not doing it with 4-3 speed like Terry McLaurin. They're not accompanying, accompanying, accompanying excuse me, that elite route running with 4-3 speed. And then you think about his contested catch ability. If you go look at his last, uh, his next gen, uh, next gen stats from the last game, as far as the contested catch win rate, it's crazy. And he he was drafted for his blocking ability and his special teams ability. So I, is it crazy for me to ask? Does Terry McLaurin have a top ten skill set at the wide receiver position at this point? Because, like I said, 4-3 speed, one of the best route runners in the league. He's beating everybody with contested catches. What can this man do? How did we let him slip to the third round? I know exactly why. Because Paris Campbell ran a lot of drags and things like that, screen passes, and that's all Dwayne Haskins could throw. But I'm going to just leave that there. I'm going to just leave that there. Babe, but I'm just the messenger. Like I said, over at Bleeding BNG, we give you real, raw, unfiltered content. And that's exactly why Terry McCorn fell to the third round. Because Paris Campbell was a better collegiate player. Because he ran those shallow digs, those uh, crossing routes, those runaway routes, those mesh routes. And that's all Dwayne Haskins could throw. 
But I'll leave that there, like I said. Um, the offensive line, you guys are still looking shaky. I did like the game from our guards, um, and I think that was one of the reasons why Antonio Gibson averaged 5.3 yards per carry. I did think that Brandon Sheriff had a big bounce-back game, and I also think that Eric Flowers has been our best guard throughout the first two games, similar to the 2019 season. I, I, and I think that this needs to be mentioned. I think that Eric Flowers just loves playing in Washington. You got to think, he was balling in 2019 under a different coaching staff. Under a different regime. And he had real struggles in Miami in 2020. But it looks like he just picked back up where he left off in the 2019 season. Because uh, he's been really, really good as a um, left guard in this offense. Um, and as I mentioned before, he's one of the biggest cheerleaders on the team. Which is great for the team morale. So I just think that it's a Eric Flowers playing in Washington thing. I think he just loves the city. He loves the atmosphere. I know one of the biggest reasons he went to Miami uh, last year is to play closer to home. But maybe you just need to stay up here, Big Eric. Maybe you just need to stay up here, Big E-Flow. Um, you may see one of the trap blocks that he had on the Dexter, uh, Dexter Lawrence on one of Antonio Gibson's pretty sister, uh, pretty good runs of the of the game. He flattened Dexter Lawrence, who's about uh, a mammoth of a man, about 340 pounds. Um, so the offense looks good. Um, the tackle still needs some work. I'm still skeptical of both Charles Leno and Samuel Cosme. But, hey, hey. Can't complain about a win, right? Um, but we still have a lot of things to work on because we did need a lot of things to go in our favor as well. So over to the defense. Guys, this defense is so hyped up at this point. And like I told you guys, I waited till Monday to also give us an NFC East round uh, recap. I think that we may have the third best defense in this division. And that's very disappointing after talking about having the best defense in the entire league throughout the entire season. So I'll just run down some of the defensive things that I wanted to touch on in this episode. John Allen, you're 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 a dog. You're playing like a mad possessed. You had two sacks this week um, and three sacks uh, for the season total, and you're just been balling out. Chase Young, I need you to be better, bro. I need you to be better. You're the supposed face of the franchise, but honestly, you're about the third or fourth best player on this defense right now. And I commend you, Chase, because like this is no shade to Chase. You're a great player, and that's I expect more out of you. Because when it comes with a generational type tag that you were receiving throughout the draft process, I expect generational type play week in and week out. And I haven't gotten it in either week. <coughs> you lost to Rashawn Slater last week. And then this week, yeah, you had your plays. But, like, you were going against Andrew Thomas, bro. And he struck. He's, he, he's, he, he, he's a bum. He's a bum. He's a bum. You going against an offensive line that Bob Miller dominated last week, coming off an ACL injury, who is a real generational type talent. And I know you guys don't necessarily play the right side, but that's what generational looks like. I believe Bob Miller had two sacks, two tackles for loss against that same line. And what you have, three tackles, one tackle for loss. And then a lot of people showing the highlight where you run in with Saquon stride for stride, which was tremendous athleticism. Tremendous athleticism. But, bro, they ran right at you. They ran right at you. They ran right at you on the Austin Eckler touchdown against the Los Angeles Chargers. So, and if you guys can remember my early bleeding BNG fans, I said that Chase might be the best run defender as far as edges in the NFL right now. Because I did think he had some way to go as a pass rusher because he's 18 games or what? He missed one game last year. So he's 17 games into his career, and he doesn't really have a consistent pass rush plan yet, which is kind of 
worrisome to me. But he played the run extremely well last year, and it's something that I haven't seen this uh, this season. But don't get me wrong, he hasn't played horrible by any means. He still lacked that elite of a talent where he's going to flash regardless, regardless of his techniques and things like that. So I just need you to be better with that generational type talent where I'm seeing that week in and week out. The rest of the front four played pretty solidly. Montez, I saw a crazy, what, sack streak record for Montez Sweat. He's been balling out, um, and I think that he's the best defensive end on the roster at this very moment. Um, the linebackers still struggle. Jamin Davis was a lot better, though, in limited snaps. I think he had the highest overall PFF grade for the Washington defense. And I, where I thought he was a lot better is particularly in pass coverage. You saw where he defended Sterling Shepard on that shake route, and it was something we haven't seen from the Washington football team linebackers in a while. Haven't really seen that play made by Washington football team linebackers since. London Fletcher, maybe? I don't even know if he made those type of plays in coverage, though. Um, still some concern with Jamin Davis um, coming downhill as a downhill thumper. Uh, but that isn't in, that's not what he did at Kentucky. So that's why I was kind of... Kind of skeptical when I saw that the team wanted to play him at middle linebacker because he wasn't a downhill thumper um, in the SEC in college. And that's something that you really need in the NFL, especially at that middle linebacker position when you're looking at the guys like the Fred Warners, who's who's not the, the, the biggest linebacker, but he comes downhill with a vengeance. You look at a guy like Bobby Wagner and things like that. So I was kind of skeptical with the move to Jam- uh, with Jamin Davis moving to middle linebacker. But I, and I still think that outside linebacker, that weak side linebacker role, is what best suits him because that's where you are able to display your coverage uh, skills, playing tight ends and things like that with the formations often leaving a tight end on the weak side of the offense or the weak side of the defense. Um, and, I, I mean, while he was improved in the past game, I, he still leaves a lot to desire. All our linebackers do. I don't think that this was extremely uh, an extremely great game for Cole Holcomb. I saw him mauled in the run game a couple of times. And then, y'all know how I feel about John Bostic. Y'all know how I feel about John Bostic. But moving on to the defense, I still, y'all saw me call Jack Del, y'all heard me call Jack Del Rio out last week. And I'm still wondering, what schemes are you running, bro? What schemes are you running? If we being honest, if, there, if, if Darius Slayton doesn't drop that touchdown, we're 0-2 right now. And I'm doing a lot more yelling in this podcast. Why are we having so many coverage mishaps? You brought William Jackson in to run more man, but we having all these blown coverages in zone. Not even just the touchdown. All the third downs against the Los Angeles Chargers. Giving up all the third downs against the New York Giants. What is our scheme? As I mentioned to you before, last week's episode, I think that this is a roster issue where we only have one corner that can play man at an elite level. I think that St. Juice can do it with some time. <clears throat> but we're relegated to running a lot of zone with these coverage breakdowns are happening because we don't have any elite man corners. Then that brings me to Landon Collins, who I was excited for through the training camp uh, because he looked good. He looked good in preseason. Everybody told you that. It wasn't just me. All the beat reporters, all the Washington football team fans that I saw, that saw Landon in training camp, we all shared the same sentiments. He's had a pretty rough outing in these first two games, though. You saw William Jackson looking back at him that, as that was his mishap um, on that dropped um, touchdown catch by Darius Slayton. And then Rob mentioned that it was a safety that messed up. He didn't say him by name, but we all know it was Landon. Then Landon got burned once again by Danny Dimes. Landon looked like 
my grandmother running out there chasing Danny Dimes. Daniel Jones, who runs a 4-8-40. So while I don't think that that's really replicating Daniel Jones's play speed, that's kind of concerning to see because when Landon Collins was chasing him, he wasn't making up any ground. And it was it was brought up on national TV shows. Shannon Sharp like, look at Landon over there, not making up any ground. So you know it's bad when those type of shows pick it up. And I'm just concerned about did we did we buy the hype? Did we buy the hype too soon? Because we got to still think this is a DB playing with an Achilles injury, returning from an Achilles injury. I know that late last, um, in the first week against the Los Angeles Chargers, they said he was getting his leg worked on um, a lot late in the second half, and I don't know if that was a result of you know lingering effects from the Achilles because this was his first game back. So. That's just something to look at. Um, I do like our other safeties, though. I think that Bobby McCain and Cam Curl both play solidly. I think that Cam Curl might be the best player in the secondary at the moment. Um, Will Jackson had a pretty, pretty, pretty had some pretty good reps against Kenny Galladay, but that was a rough, <coughs> that was a rough touchdown that you allowed against um, Darius Slayton. It's like you let the guy run right by you, and that was concerning. Where you're known as a press corner who has four three speed. And you don't even put a hand on him at the line, and then he runs by you. That was that was extremely concerning. And I think I need you to get off Instagram going back and forth with Adam Pac-Man Jones. Even though it was funny because you were 100% right when you told him you took that man's job when y'all were in Cincinnati. But what Pac-Man was saying about you was right, man. Like, you had a lot of inconsistent play on Thursday night. And this defense... I just hope that they can get that act together like they did late in the season because the potential is there. The potential is there. If we get Jamin Davis to reach his potential that he was, that people were hyping up with pre-draft, if we can get Chase Young to reach the potential of that generational type talent that we've been hyping up, me included. So I don't want to, I don't want to exclude myself. I think that Chase Young is a generational type talent as well. If we can get him to return to form, I think that this can still be one of the more elite defense or most elite defense in the NFL. But we need to we need like right right now we're paper champions. We need to put the motion on in the field. We need to put it put it put the put pen to paper and we need to we need to hey we need to live up to the hype that everybody, Greeny, Sam Acho, everybody was giving this defense before the season because I haven't seen it so far. At the beginning of the season, you wouldn't have to tell yourself for Washington to win a game, it would have to be a, a shootout. Which Thursday night was thirty nine to twenty? I mean thirty to twenty nine. How many times have we scored thirty points in the last three seasons? Not many. Let me go ahead and answer your question now. Not many. So with that being said, if our offense can prove to shock some people, especially with Curtis Samuel set to return after the Buffalo game, as they say, because they seem to be keeping Curtis Samuel. Zendry in a mystery box like 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 he's Waldo or something. I don't, I don't really get it. But if Curtis Samuel is set to return after this next game against the Buffalo Bills, that's even more excitement and versatility you can add to your offense. Now let's imagine if that defense gets back on track like we had predicted before the season. Then we can have a pretty good team because right now, even though we are 1-1 one and, one and first in the division, I wouldn't call ourselves a pretty good team. Told you guys I was going to give you guys an NFC East rap, uh, recap. Um, the Philadelphia Eagles lost to the San Francisco 49-17-11. But that defense looked pretty good. Defensive line is very menacing. That defensive line looks like what our defensive line was hyped up to look like. 
Now, I know that Brandon Graham suffered an Achilles injury and he may be out for the season, which is a big blow. But as I mentioned before, I think we may have the third best defense in the division right now. And that's depressing. Because Dallas looked better on defense against the Los Angeles Chargers in their win against the Los Angeles Chargers yesterday where they won 20-17 than we did. Michael Parsons in his first game as a defensive end having much more pressure than Chase Young or Montez Sweat did last week. That's concerning. Everybody's like, oh, he played defensive end in high school. I get that. He hasn't played it since high school or his first year at Penn State. Compare that to our guy that we're we're giving generational tags to. That's concerning. That's concerning if we're being honest. So right now, I mean, we still keeping our heads above water and we're first place in the division due to our divisional record. So there's a lot to look forward to, but we got we got a lot, a lot that we have to get better on. And you know, you come to Bleeding B&G for the most raw, uncut, and most honest commentary on the football team. So I'm going to give it to you. Thankfully, we have a lot, a lot of time before our next divisional matchups because I don't see how we stop an offense like Dallas. Shoot, I don't see how we stop Jalen Hurts. I don't. I don't. This defense needs to pick it up. Jack Del Rio, I'm looking right at you. Chase Young, I'm looking right at you. Because it's time, guys. It's time. Because we might have found our quarterback in Taylor Heineke. Our offense is doing its job. Now it's time for y'all to pick up the slack and get back to that elite defense that we presumed you guys to be before the season. So that's it for episode 27, guys. As I mentioned before, we're going to have a preview episode. Looking forward to our huge matchup with the Buffalo Bills. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, comment, and subscribe. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Bleeding BNG podcast. Please follow our social medias. Our Instagram is at Bleeding BNG. That's at B-L-E-E-D-I-N-G B-N-G. Our Twitter is a tad bit different, at Bleeding BNG. B-L-E-E-D-I-N-B-N-G. So there's only one G in our Twitter handle. And then you can listen to us on all podcast platforms. But especially on Apple Music, guys, please rate and review. Like I told you, we're trying to finesse these algorithms so that you're getting all bleeding B&G when you're looking up Washington football team content. Remember, our YouTube fam, subscribe. We're pushing out these episodes. We're pushing out other content on YouTube as well. So check us out. Peace.